pray together. We do trust you, God, to guide us. We trust that your presence, always here, is known and felt by the people in this sacred space and in this dedicated time of worship. We pray, O Lord, that we have the wisdom to recognize that we are called beyond this moment into the life that is uh, the life of service and love, the forgiven life that Jesus wants for all. So be present among us, we pray, through Christ. Amen. I know that you've had the experience that I have on a number of occasions when I go to the movie theater and get engrossed in a story of some kind, any kind. I'm so fully present in that theater and I'm so affixed with the sound and the visuals that when the movie's over and it's time to leave, it is completely disorienting for me. You walk out of the darkness and into the light again. You walk out of the, to, of the story that you've been in and you walk into this more familiar story that is your life. The car you're getting into, the street you're walking down, whatever's next in your day. You have to kind of shake your head and almost reboot yourself to get back into that groove. I was thinking about the movie experience as I think about what we do here on Sundays. The fact that on this time change Sunday, we've made an effort to be here. Thank you very much. Why are you here? Why, what do we do? It seems to me that a lot of us assume that church is like the movie theater in that we go and we live for a time in this sort of artificial world, this fabricated world of illusion. But eventually the preacher will stop preaching and we'll open the doors and we'll walk out again into the bright light of the real world, the world of Wars and gun permits and animosity and corporate greed and insecurity. What Richard Rohr calls the meritocracy of quid pro quo, where we all are trying to get and receive what we, what we possibly can. But what if the opposite were true? What if the world out there wasn't the real world? What if what we're doing in here is in fact the real world? And what if what we're doing when we gather on a Sunday is trying to orient our lives to that which is real, God's radically different world, a world of forgiveness and second chances, a world of unity and hope, a world based on the economy of grace instead of quid pro quo? Do you think we could reorient our eyes and our lives? We've been thinking this Lenten season about the why of the cross. We've asked the question again and again, what does it mean, this phrase that many of us learned in childhood, Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sins. And we've talked about a whole range of sort of academic and logical explanations. We've talked about theological and doctrinal explanations for the why of the cross. But I noticed this week that one who doesn't try to explain the cross is Jesus. 
Jesus doesn't try to explain the cross. Jesus is, has come and lives among this world, loving and healing, feeding and forgiving, blessing and including, reconciling, reconciling and guiding, being in constant dialogue with his adversaries, the religious leaders, and describing all along this idea of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not some faraway, fanciful thing. He says it's right here among us and within us. It's the time and the place and the context where God, the sacred heart of love, where where God, the great mystery of all that is, is actually ruling the world, the kingdom of God, where things are reconciled and forgiven and united and blessed and put back into the harmony that God intended. Jesus says, this is the real world. The kingdom of God is the real world. He says to Pilate, my kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, you would know it. But as it is, my kingdom's not of this world. You don't see it, Pilate. You're still living in the theater. You haven't walked out of the world of illusion and into the real world of God. The kingdom of God is built on forgiveness and love. And it doesn't compute to those who spend their lives inside the movie theater. That is, inside the world of competition and greed. Jesus' way is far too impractical. It'll get your head knocked off. Jesus' way is far too violating of the rules and traditions that we've come to to love and revere. It, It tends to in the eyes of those who are in the theater, coddle the least and the last. It's a little too soft on crime, you might say. And so the pilots of this world and the world prior, Pilate rejects Jesus. They torture him and execute him on a cross. And lest you and I think this is just a history lesson about what happened long ago, or lest we get a little bit uppity thinking, oh, that's really too bad what they did. Let us remember that Jesus' message of inclusion and grace and forgiveness, it can often scandalize us. It can offend us. We love the story of the prodigal son, of the father who welcomes the wayward son home again. But the truth of the matter is that many people like me and you, we're we're not the prodigal son. We're the older brother. We're the older brother who says, I think dad's gone a little soft here. I think dad is not being harsh enough on, on little brother. And so on Good Friday when the community gathers and when we sing, as is our custom, were you there when they crucified my Lord? The answer to the question is, yes. We were there. What the church means by this 
is that we say that every wrong that is done, every sin that is committed, every sin of commission and omission is something that ultimately is done to God, not just to an individual, not just to a a group of people or a culture. Every sin ultimately touches and injures and punctures the heart of God. Jesus said in one of his parables that when we've done it to one of the least of these in the world, what we've done or what we've not done to someone else, we've done to him. He bears every sin that we commit. Paul put it like this. For our sake, God made Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. That is to say, in his holding all of these sins together, all of our greed and anger and confusion, all of our narcissistic power plays, whether we're talking about individuals or groups of people and systems, all of them ultimately are present in the cross of Jesus. Past present, future, they're all there. And as he hangs on the cross, here's the kicker. As he hangs there on the cross, with us having rejected him in his ways, with us having tortured him with our sins, with us having crucified him, Jesus responds, with love and forgiveness. It's unbelievable. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Who could say such a thing? Who could have such a heart? And what does this say about the world that we're supposed to live in and the life that you and I are supposed to live? It takes our sin and takes it seriously. This is not just, hey, forgive and forget. Hey, let's just sweep it under the rug. Let's just act like it never happened. No. Forgiveness from Jesus says, what you've done wounds my heart. It crucifies me. But I'm not here just to make you feel guilty. I'm not here to retaliate. I'm not here to press on your sin. I'm here and I hang here to say all is forgiven. We'll take your sin. We'll take your story and my story because you know we all have a story. Everyone here has a story. We'll take our stories And will transform them, change them, reorient them, reboot them in the forgiving heart of love, all the forgiven life. You don't want to miss it. You don't want to sit in the darkened theaters of your life when when the life of God is just outside the door. You don't want to miss it. You don't want to shortchange your life. By missing the forgiven life. You don't want to be like the carpenter who was hired to build a house by a wealthy man who wanted to do a deed of love. The wealthy man came to the carpenter and said, 
I want to build a house, a fine house, a great house. And I want you to be responsible for it. I'm going to give you the money in advance because I'm going on a trip. But I want you to take this money and spare no expense. I want you to hire the best craftsmen you can find. I want you to use the choicest of products. I want you to do this right, and then I'll be back. After he left, the carpenter thought to himself, this is my golden opportunity. This is my chance. Rather than hire the best, I will hire inferior workers and I'll pay them the minimum wage. I'll skimp on the products that I use and I'll cut every corner I can and then I'll just paint over any mistake. And so the day came. When the wealthy man returned and there stood the carpenter with the keys to the house, standing proudly in front of it to say, Sir, your house is completed. Thank you, said the wealthy man as he took the keys and handed them back to the carpenter, saying, this house is a gift of love for you and your family. And for the rest of his life, the carpenter could be heard talking about how he had cheated himself. If only I'd known I was building the house for my family. You don't want to miss this forgiven life. You don't want to live as the carpenter skimping and cutting corners, living in the theaters of our small imaginations and fears when all the while, all the while, Christ has come into this world. He's died on the cross, as Paul said, making an appeal to us to be reconciled to God. Oh, to be reconciled to God. Well, it changes everything. It changes how we think about ourselves, how we think about each other, how we think about the future, how we think about this world in which we lived. I dream. What if the cross, what if the crosses that we have all over our building, what if crosses could become through our church and others? What if the cross could become the symbol of love revealed by God in Jesus Christ for the world, for our neighbor, for ourselves, and the church begins to live into this new reality? We've got this capital campaign we are, just, are dreaming of called Building Love. It's not just a theme. What if that became a reality that we are trying to build love and that when people saw crosses on our, around our necks or on our church building or on our bumper stickers or in our logo, that they could see that cross and see it not as a sign of judgment or exclusivity or presumed piety, that they wouldn't see it as a nationalistic symbol or a symbol of a crusade, but rather here's the symbol of love of the forgiven life, of someone who gets it and is living into it humbly, reconciled, wearing that symbol that's a gift for everyone. That's what the cross is, a gift for everyone. My young friend Lulu Mae Solly several weeks ago had a serious eye injury. She is a tough young woman and she is doing very well in her recovery. 
One of the things that the physicians suggested is that she began to wear some protective glasses while her eye is healing. And so she picked out a, several pairs of glasses, but beginning with the one in her very favorite color, orange. Orange-rimmed glasses. This past week, she was able finally to return to her second-grade class. And when she walked down the hall to her classroom, there above the door to her classroom was a sign in orange that said, Welcome back, Lula May. But the best part was when they walked inside. And there were all of her classmates and teachers wearing orange shirts, orange sweaters, orange scarves, orange ribbons, as a way to say, we're all in this together. We're all united in this. We're with one another. What if the cross became God's sign of the forgiven life and that we embodied it in all that we are, all that we do with this building, with our offerings, with our very lives. Lord, let it be so. Amen. We come this day to the table of the Lord. It is a beautiful picture of the forgiven life, for it is for us the body of Jesus' broken body. It is the cup of Christ's blood of salvation for you and me. It is Christ's table set by us for the people of God. If you're here today and you are a child of God, a follower of Christ, you are invited to the table. We'll come down the center aisle. We'll receive the bread and eat it. We'll move to the sides and receive cups and drink it. You can place your cups on the side. Uh, There are, are baskets on the side. Let us also bring our offerings to the Lord as we come. Let's now prepare to come to the table of the Lord by standing and reconciling and making peace with those around us with these words. May the peace of Christ be with you.